Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. Hope you guys are doing well, and I want you to know that you have chosen a really, really great day to be at Springwell. Today, we are actually, at the end of the service, going to be celebrating family dedication with uh, some families who have made the decision to prioritize Jesus Christ in their life and make Him the foundation of how they um, raise their kids and live their family's life. And so we're going to allow you to be a part of that later on. So we'll tell you what that looks like when we get there. But this is going to be one of those days that's going to be a memory for them. This is going to be one of those days where they're probably going to want some, some pictures to commemorate, uh, commemorate the occasion. Uh, I think that uh, we understand what that's like. Uh, does anybody have anyone in their family who has their phone out continuously taking pictures of everything? Yes, um, we do. My wife is right down there. She does. She's that person. Um, I hate ha- having my picture made. Um, I don't like being in front of the camera. A lot of y'all are like, that's good. Um, <laughs> and I get it. <laughs> wow. All right. We just, wow. All right. That's, I mean, it's true, but you didn't have to agree that wholeheartedly. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm joking around. The, uh, no, that's the thing. But what do we do when we take, the reason we make pictures is because we want to remember things, right? Things like family dedication today, graduation, birthdays, and of course, holidays, right? So what I want to do is show you guys a picture that was posted on social media showing our family at Thanksgiving. It was this. There it is. That's me, my wife, Michelle, our daughter, Hannah. And if you're thinking the same thing that I already know, yes, you look and you're like, wow, look, that's, that's a good-looking family. Right, the two-thirds of the right. And um, our daughter, it's, that's 95% her mom. That's not me. I, I get it. Um, we, we make pictures. And, and that was the, was the picture that was posted on social media because it was a good picture. I want to show y'all the pictures that were made before this picture. And you're like, what? I know. They've never seen the light of day before the nine o'clock service. So uh, this one was made before this one. That's pretty common. Uh, Then there was this one. We were getting a little more into it at that point. Uh, And then there was this one. And uh, uh, finally, this is the one that started all of it. Right there. Um, Y'all pray for my wife. Um, This is what she deals with on a regular basis. Um, But like I said, the first picture was the one that was posted on social media. And the reason that it was posted was because, let's be honest, we want everybody to see the perfect picture, right? As human beings, that's what we do, especially when it comes to the next generation. As parents, we want everybody to see the perfect picture of a family, Grandparents, we want everybody to see the perfect picture of a family. Aunts, uncles, step-parents, foster parents, we want everybody to see the perfect picture of our family. Because we don't want anybody to think that we have anything wrong. 
We don't have anything. We don't have the, the, the craziness that happens behind the scenes. We want to give them the snapshot of the moment, the perfect moment. This morning, uh, morning I, I believe that we are going to um, help us understand that we feel the same way about leading the next generation, whether it's inside of a family or whether you serve um, like in family ministry, leading the next generation, we have this thought that it has to be the perfect picture a lot of times. We're going to look at a story in the Bible today in Luke chapter 2 that is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And the reason is, is because it helps me understand that as a parent, I don't have to be perfect. As someone who has um, leads the next generation, I don't have to be perfect. And so we're going to talk about this family today. And what happens here, honestly, would get the parents canceled in today's culture. Like, everybody would be blasting them online. There's no doubt about it. And the family that we're talking about is Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. Everybody's sitting there going, you said they would cancel Jesus. That is not what I said. I said they'd cancel Mary and Joseph in today's society. Let me show you what I'm talking about. It's Luke chapter 2, verse... 41 says every year Jesus parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival when Jesus was 12 years old they attended the festival as usual what you need to understand is that Mary and Joseph were devout Jews and as a result the expectation is that they would go to Jerusalem and that they would worship there they would go to the temple three times a year if you had a poorer family you would prioritize one time a year. And this family was probably like that. We don't know how many more times they went, but we know that they prioritized the Passover festival. And you did that because that was the main, most important festival in the Jewish calendar. Therefore, they prioritized it. So they were going every single year. So all 12 years of Jesus' life up to that point, every year he saw his parents prioritize going to worship God. They prioritized devotion to God. Jesus saw this, he experienced this. When I read these two verses, the question that came to my mind is what is the next generation seeing us prioritize? I asked this in the first service, and I think we maybe struggled a little bit with it, but that's okay. I'm going to ask the question. How many uh, baby boomers are in here? Oh, there are some of us. You can raise your hand. You don't have to be afraid of that. That's good. Uh, generation X, that's my generation, by the way, the MTV generation. That's, that's us. Uh, the next one after that would be millennials. Okay, now I, I'm going to stop for a second. All right. I, 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 heard, I heard the groan. I heard the groan. If you're in Generation X and you groaned, you're the ones who set them up for success. I didn't set them up for success. You didn't set them up. If you're in a previous generation and you groan about the next generation, understand something. It's our responsibility to set them up for success. That's what Joseph and Mary were doing. For 12 years, they had gone and prioritized devotion to God. The next generation, whenever I talk about that now, I'm talking about two generations specifically after that. Generation Z, which would basically be 11 to 25 at this point. 
or Generation Alpha, which would be under 11. When I'm talking about the next generation, it's how the generations previous set them up for success. The number of times that I've looked at our students, and I've said this on multiple occasions, that I've looked at our students on Sunday nights that I'm teaching and sitting there and going, guys, the reason you struggle with this as a priority in your life is because my generation didn't make it a priority for you to, to see. Mary and Joseph did that. They prioritized this de devotion to God and Jesus saw this. They prioritized a relationship with God, not, with recon not of recognition with other, other people, being recognized by the world. If you're today and you have a child in your life or a teenager in your life or you serve in family ministry, you have influence in the next generation, it's easy to sit there and think, if I'm going to prioritize and make the right priority and make God the priority, then I have to live a perfect life. We don't have to do that, but we do have to understand that our purpose is found in our priorities. So whatever I prioritize for the next generation, by the way I live, they're gonna see me finding my purpose in whatever my priority was. What is the next generation seeing us prioritize? I think they're seeing us prioritize the number of likes that we get on a post. I think they're seeing us prioritize the number of views or number of followers. I think that they're seeing us prioritize what we drive, where we live, the amount that's in our bank account. I think that they are seeing us prioritize what is be, always being right but rarely prioritizing restoring relationships. It's our responsibility to show them that our purpose is found in our priorities. And Joseph and Mary were doing this for Jesus. For 12 years they had gone to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. They were obviously devoted to God which meant that he was seeing that and he was taking that in and applying it to his life. But that doesn't mean that they were perfect. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Verse 43. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. That does not mean that Jesus stayed over at a friend's house. That does not mean that Jesus asked if he could stay with a grandparent. No, this is what it means. He stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first. Some of us are sitting there going, I feel better about myself already. <laughs> because they assumed that he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. Now, what you need to understand is that as they were traveling, they weren't just traveling on this journey by themselves. It was typical, long journeys would include multiple people. A lot of times it was family, an extended family that was traveling together. A lot of times it was entire villages that traveled together. And as they were traveling, the way this would work is that women and children would lead the way, would set the pace at the front. 
and then younger men and then older men following behind them. So it would have been really easy with Mary and Joseph being in two different places in this traveling party, not knowing where Jesus is. Because he is the age of 12, he could have been up front with Mary and the kids and the, the women. He could have been with the younger men and with Joseph. So Joseph could have said, ah, he's, I don't know where he is, but he's probably up there with Mary. Mary could have said, ah, he's not here with me, so he's probably with Joseph. Both of them, if they didn't see them, probably would have said, you know, he might just be with somebody else that we all know. So that would have made sense for Jesus to move between groups and them not knowing where he was in any given moment. So we can't accuse Joseph and Mary of child neglect at this point, okay? Because it makes a lot of sense of what was taking place. And they probably already would have felt bad enough. I mean, after all, it was their responsibility to raise God's child, right? So here is Mary who had an angel come to her 12 years before this and say, you are highly favored amongst women. You are going to give birth to the son of God. If I put myself in Mary's place, what I'm sitting there going, I bet I ain't as highly favored now as I was. I lost Jesus. I'm probably not highly favored. At, at best, I'm somewhat acceptable probably at this point. If I put myself in Joseph's place, I'm sitting there going, like, I've been challenged to raise God's son as his earthly father. I'm the worst bonus parent ever. It's what I'm thinking, and I put myself in that place. And if we're all honest, we know a little bit about what this feels like when something happens with our child. I'll give you an example. When you are in a store shopping, and that store has clothes for sale, People laughing because you already know what I'm talking about. Especially if that store has clothes on a rack that are circular. You sitting there and you have your little one with you and you turn and you look and then they're not there. And you're sitting there going, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then the next thing you know, you see this little head go <laughs> pop up out of the clothes rack. And then you see them and you try to go find them and you try to bring them back. And when you get to that clothes rack, they're not there and they pop up at another one. You find yourself in Target playing human whack-a-mole, going in between all of the racks, trying to figure out where they are. But it's, it's frustrating. It's scary. And you sit there, and especially in today's time, now you're not just worried because you can't find your child. Somebody's recording it and putting it on their story, or you're now a topic of Instagram uh, or, or a TikTok video of the, all of this happening. So I'm sure that they felt bad, that they couldn't find him. But what you need to understand is that they didn't need to feel bad. We don't need to feel bad when we make a mistake in raising and leading the next generation because raising a child isn't about getting, them every, or to, about getting everything perfect. It's about teaching and look to a perfect God. Mary and Joseph didn't get this right. But what they were doing before that, they got it right. They were prioritizing a devotion with God and to God. 
But they didn't wallow in what went wrong. They went back to Jerusalem. And again, there's some of us in here that were like, they didn't re- realize that he wasn't there. So he goes back to Jerusalem, right? There's some of us, if, let's be honest, parents, all right? Because remember, you don't have to be perfect. It's okay. Where we would sit there and go, you know, honestly, mama needs a minute. Dad needs a minute. And that's not a perfect response. But it's okay. Because perfection isn't the expectation. Leading the next generation, raising, leading a family, we're not expected to be perfect. Perfection isn't the expectation. We can't just focus on what goes wrong in a moment. Instead, we have to focus on what is to come. So let's jump down to verse 46. So they go back and they search for him. Verse 46 gives me so much hope as a parent. Three days later. (laughs) Oh, wait, it gets better. They finally discovered it. It wasn't like they went straight back. They still had to look. They went back. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting amongst the religious leaders, listening to them and asking questions. Okay, now I feel worse as a parent because, and then I have to remember, oh yeah, it is the son of God. So, I mean, that's okay. I mean, but that's what, they go back and find him doing that. All who heard him, they were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And his parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search, he said. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. Three days. Jesus was missing for three days. They walk into the temple after three days, and finally, which again tells me that they were looking everywhere else. They were looking everywhere they could to try to find him because this is a big deal. Again, they're frantic. If the child goes missing, they're going to go try to find the child. They're trying to go out back. They go back. It's kind of cool when you hear this because Jesus' response, he says, why would you go looking everywhere else? That's not a smart answer, by the way. That's not a sarcastic answer. Where they made a priority before this? The temple. So he says, where else would I be? I sit there and think, and I go three days. There are some of us in this room who are going... If my kid was missing for three days, they would have overthrown a small nation by the end of the three days. My child would have declared themselves the emperor of South Carolina after three days. That would have happened. And if it were me, and I walk into the temple and see that reaction, if I put myself in Joseph and Mary's place, what I'm probably going to do is look and see that happening and like, 
I'm out. All right, you can find your way back. Like that, I don't even know how to respond to that in that place and at that point in time. But Joseph and Mary had modeled their priorities, and their priorities were the devotion of, uh, to God. They hadn't, they weren't walking around. They, they didn't start in the temple. They were looking in other places. Even that was not a perfect response. And it wasn't like, well, we're going to the temple because that's where our son's going to be. We're better and better than you after you is the son of God. You guys don't raise God's kid. We do. They didn't have this attitude of we're going to go there because they were better than anybody else. We're raising God's kid. You're not. Hey, your child's class project is great. Their finger painting is awesome. That's on, hanging on your refrigerator. That's great, considering they're not the Messiah. I mean, that's, there wasn't, that wasn't their attitude in the midst of all of this. And Jesus would have seen them and their priorities and chose to make them his priorities. Now, I get that there's probably someone in here today who was a parent or a grandparent or a step-parent or a foster parent, a, a guardian, a family member who has a child in your life that you know they were taught making God the priority. You raised them that way. And if you're that adult in the room today, and you're sitting there going, all you can do is start beating yourself up. You start beating yourself up because that they're not here. They're not where, what you've taught them, where they, they're not here. And they've, they're running from, from God. They're, they're trying to work out their faith in their own way, and they're trying to do these kind of things. Give yourself a little bit of grace. Because as a parent... I get this. The whole idea of perfection isn't the expectation. I want to ask you guys to raise your hands, but I'm sure that there's some people like me in the room who are perfectionists. And it's no different when I'm as a parent. When I say the wrong thing, I do the wrong thing. My actions don't demonstrate what my priorities really are. I beat myself up. And I have to give myself some grace. Because thank God he's already given me enough. If you're in here today and you're, you're going through that time in your life where a child's running from everything that they've been taught, everything that you've demonstrated, everything that you've shown them, and you're asking, what did I do wrong? You don't have to be perfect, but I want to give you a statement that maybe you need to write this down or take a, a, a picture of it and save it. So that, and I think this helps everybody. All you can do is all you can do. And if that's all you can do, just go do it. Some of y'all are like, that is really wordy. Yes, it is. And I say it to myself every single day. Because there are times that I feel like I have to be perfect. And then when I don't meet my expectation, 
then I feel like I messed up. But at the end of the day, all I can do is all I can do. And if that's all I can do, just go do it. I heard this over and over again at the first church we served at 20 years ago. The pastor would say this, and I've probably butchered what he actually said. There's so many goes and do's and all of that kind of stuff. I probably messed it up in there somewhere, but this is how I remember it. When I put myself in the place of Joseph and Mary, that's, that's what I start thinking about. If you have that child who's wayward or lost and you can't find them, stay faithful. Keep prioritizing the right things because when they see that your purpose is found in priorities, then they will start to apply that. It may not be now. It may not be a few months from now. It may not be years from now. But I'm telling you, they will start to prioritize it. Stay faithful. Keep making the main thing the main thing. And here's why. But when it comes to leading the next generation, the things that we're teaching them are often not taught. They're caught. It's not about looking at an elementary age student or a preschooler or a middle schooler or a high schooler and saying, do it this way. Because especially when they hit middle school, they're like, no, I will not. <laughs> I can say that I work with middle schoolers all the time. And the people who laughed have middle schoolers at home. Um, that's what we do. But keep doing it. That's what Joseph and Mary did. And Jesus saw that and he went right back to what they had demonstrated. It's not just taught, it's caught. Joseph and Mary were obviously distraught in all of this. They'd lost the Messiah. They're probably sitting there going, I hope never, or no one ever hears about this story. Well, too late now. And Mary looks at Jesus and says, don't you understand what you're putting me and your father through? Like we've been frantic looking for you. Don't you understand? And Jesus responds and it says that they didn't understand his response, which should let you know that's how we know that Jesus was in middle school right here. I mean, it says he's 12, but this, is, this confirms it. Because if you have a middle schooler in your life, you don't understand 75% of what comes out of their mouth. Am I right, bruh? Again, the people who laugh, they're like, oh, yeah. Because those were the people that were called bruh 15 times on the way here this morning. And we'll be called that after the fact. They're saying things and using terminology and stuff that we're like, I don't have a clue what you are saying. Well, they didn't understand it. Make, it's okay. They had a middle schooler. They didn't understand him either. All right. So understand that. No, seriously, the important thing about Jesus' response here is that it gives us a glimpse into his understanding of his unique relationship with God the Father. Because he says, why would you go look anywhere else? Wouldn't you know that I would be in my Father's house? Understanding and learning the things of my Father. This is really cool. At the age of 12, which Jesus was, boys in that time would start learning their father's trade. They would start learning how to take on the family business. That's what was happening. 
Jesus would actually go on to become a carpenter. The reason he became a carpenter is because Joseph was a carpenter. And starting at the age 12, he would start training him so that he could start doing the things of his, his earthly father's business. But what's so cool about this, at the age of 12, Jesus recognized that it wasn't just about here on earth. There was something else. There was something else beyond what was going on now. And he said, I've got to be about my father's business, my father, his heavenly father's business. And as Joseph and Mary modeled the importance of knowing the father, Jesus learned this. It wasn't about focusing on what went wrong in the moment. What they understood is that they had to prioritize the end. And I think if we're honest, that whether when it comes to having a, the next generation in our family or serving them here or having them a part of our lives, a lot of times we prioritize the moment. What, what's wrong, what went wrong? What was everything's okay? And we don't prioritize the end. See, how we lead the next generation isn't about focusing solely on now. It's about prioritizing the next phase of life. You can't, while they're in preschool, keep focusing on them being in preschool because elementary phase comes next. You have to start prioritizing that as you work through that phase. And when they're in elementary school, you can't just focus on that phase, you have to prioritize the next phase of middle school and prepare them for middle school. And then when they're in middle school, you have to do the same thing for high school. And then when they're in high school, you have to prioritize graduation and them becoming an adult. That's what we have to do. We have to lead the next generation with the end in mind. So we have to ask ourselves, what do we want them to become? Joseph and Mary knew the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal wasn't for Jesus to become a carpenter. The ultimate goal was for him to be the savior of the world. What do we want the next generation to become? And we have to do the same thing that Mary and Joseph did as they were prioritizing and make sure that Jesus understood that purpose is found in our priorities and that then we, as he's doing that, we have to understand that we have to take advantage of the present in order to prepare for the future. This is what it looked like for Joseph and Mary but sometimes this is what it looks like for us. Didn't have to wake up Even up all night Laying in bed just listening to his newborn baby cry He makes a pot of coffee, splashes water on his face 
His wife gives him a kiss and says it's gonna be okay. It won't be like this for long. One day soon we'll look back laughing at the weed we brought her home. His face is gonna fly by. So baby, just hold on. It won't be like this for long Four years later, about 4.30 She's crawling in the bed And when he drops her off at preschool She's clinging to his leg The teacher peels her off of him He says, what can I do? Says now don't you worry This will only last a week or two It won't be like this for long One day soon you'll drop her off And she won't even know you're gone This phase is gonna fly by If you can just hold on it won't be like this for long Someday soon she'll be a teenager And at times you'll think she hates him Then I'll walk her down the aisle and raise her veil But right now she's up and crying The truth is that he don't mind it Kisses her goodnight and says a prayer Lays there down beside her Till her eyes are finally closed Just watching her it breaks his heart Cause he already knows It won't be like this for long One day soon that little girl's gonna be All grown up and gone This phase is gonna fly by Trying to hold on Cause it won't be like this for long It won't be like this for long life of the next uh, of someone in the next generation I have to prioritize the end because there's always a next phase of life and as much as we want them to stay little as long as we as, as much as we want them to stay in this moment as much as we want them to stay in the perfect situation it won't always be like this it won't be like this for long. I want to read two more verses for you at the end of this passage, verse 51. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. 
and his mother stored all these things in her heart. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and people. The reason we have to prioritize the end is because it will not be like that forever. Joseph and Mary recognized it. There won't always be the happy, picturesque, Instagram-worthy moments. But there also won't always be the frustrating, infuriating, heartbreaking moments. As an adult in a child's life, I play a role of helping him or her grow physically, emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. And what I have to remember, and Joseph and Mary understood this and were living this out in the story that we read this morning, the ultimate goal is not to raise kids, but to raise adults. Adults who don't focus on having to be perfect, but adults who strive to walk with a perfect God. Verse 51, it said that Mary stored all of these things and remembered them in her heart. If you've heard that before, because at the beginning of the same chapter, Luke chapter 2, and the, the retelling of the story of the birth of Jesus, it says that Mary took those things and stored them into her heart. She kept storing them back. And the story of Jesus' birth, I mean, it, it was in a stable with animals and, and a manger, and it wasn't a perfect story to tell, right? This story was not a perfect story to tell. But one of the things that I've noticed is that we like to hang on to the stories that don't always go right. I'm not saying this because of a of psychology or any of those kind of things, because I don't have any of those kind of degrees and I'm not that smart. But to me, the reason we hold on to those stories when things don't go right is so that we have a win to celebrate in the end after it's over with. We like to hang on to what went wrong. And I think it's because we have this desire inside of us to celebrate the win that follows. And as an adult in the life of the next generation, sometimes you just have to find the win. They woke up this morning without you going in and trying to wake them up a dozen times. When? They put their clothes in the hamper last night. When? They took a shower. When? Middle school families. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> We're deodorant. When? Gave you a hug without you asking. When? Told you they love you without you saying it first. When? May have put up a struggle to get in the car to come to church today, but they're here. When? Have made the decision to follow Jesus Christ and trust their life to Him. When? Takes the step to start serving other people. When? Places the good of other people in front of their own good. When? 
My question for us today is what are the wins that we need to be celebrating when it comes to the next generation? Not that we have a TikTok famous lifestyle and everybody knows us, but I think it's that, it, that we see the evidence of what the next generation will be when we keep the end in mind. In the midst of a really difficult situation and a situation that went wrong for their family, Joseph and Mary prioritized the end. They found purpose in the priorities. And they recognized that they didn't have to be perfect because perfection isn't the expectation. They had a win to celebrate at the end of it. I'm gonna ask everybody to close their eyes, bow their head. As we do that, maybe you're here today and you're listening to this and you're like, Pastor Ron, I've never made Jesus a priority in my life. Maybe one reason that you haven't is you've never heard that he needs to be a priority. You've never seen what it looks like to have a life where he is the priority. Maybe you've never made that decision because you think that he expects you to be perfect all the time. that you're not. If you're looking for purpose today and you don't know Jesus, reset your priorities. Stop finding purpose in other things. Find purpose in Him. If you're trying to be perfect today, understand that it's not the expectation. God loves you. He loves you so incredibly much that He sent His Son, Jesus, not to just be a baby, not just to be 12 years old, to grow up, to die on a cross, to pay the price for our sin, to come back to life three days later, to, to demonstrate that it had victory over that sin and death, and that we could have a relationship in Him if we would just place our faith and trust in Him. And maybe what you need to do today is instead of prioritizing like the right now of what you've got to do today and what you've got to be today. Instead, start prioritizing with the end in mind. An eternal relationship with Jesus. If that's you, and today you want to take the step to place your faith and trust in Him, make Him the Lord of your life, the Savior of your life, then say something to Him like this, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I do things my way. And it's not working out. Sometimes I think I have to be perfect, but I recognize that I don't have to be because you paid that price for me. I confess my sins. I confess my faith in you. I'm placing my life in your hands. Change me and make me something new. Today I follow you. If you're here today and you're a follower of Christ, but you're a parent or grandparent or step parent or a foster parent or you're just someone who serves in family ministry, someone who has influence in the next generation's life, 
you keep looking for purpose in other things, reset your priorities so that they can see that happen. Stop trying to be perfect so that they don't grow up understanding or thinking that they have to be perfect and that that's not the expectation. And if you're prioritizing everything that you need to do today, that everything needs to happen right now, prioritize the end and what you want them to see them grow up to be. Because that's how help, we help families win. That's how we want your family to win. God, thank you for a reminder today that prioritizing you in our lives will ensure that we're not expected to be perfect but that we're trusting a perfect God and that as we lead the next generation that it won't be about what they do right now but it'll be about what you want to do with them later for the remainder of their life. Thank you for your word. Thank you that applies to us. And thank you for these families that we get to celebrate with this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And today we get to see that in action. So I'm going to welcome some families up on stage with me. And as they make their way up here, I want to share with you that if there is anything that is evident today, I hope that it is that here at Spring, we want your family to win. We try our best to go to great lengths to provide resources and to partner with you so that you have everything you need to lead your family spiritually. And one of the passages, y'all can come up a little bit. One of the passages that I want to impart onto these families is Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7. And it says this, These commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. You see, we've totaled up all the hours, and if you look at all of the hours that we as Springwell get with your kids, every Sunday morning service, kids camp, all of the family events that we do, it's about 75 hours a year that we have with your children. But if we're realistic, sickness is gonna happen. Vacations are gonna happen. We're in the South, so football is gonna happen. So really, Realistically, we have about 40 hours maybe with your children and your students here at Springwell. But you guys that are standing up here, the adults that are in the lives of these students and children, you have closer to 3,000 hours a year, even without school and work and sleep. And so we want to make sure that we're prioritizing those 3,000 hours and we're doing what we need to do to partner with you so that way you can lead your family spiritually, that if we, as we look at Brooklyn and Benjamin and Macklin and Collins, that you've got a church that has your back. And that is what this moment is all about. You see, we've given these families some jars. Y'all can hold those up. These are the, this is the final outlook of what that will be, is a jar filled with buttons. 
And when you receive this jar, it's going to have exactly the number of buttons that represents the weeks that you have left with your child or student in your home. And so as you hold that jar, that empty jar represents a child that is leaving your home. It represents the adults that you are seeking to raise. And so in just a minute, as we're praying, I hope that you pray over those jars and you don't pray over your students and children as they, as they stand before you now, but that you pray over the adults that they are becoming, that you are partnering with them to become. And for us as a church, we want you to be part of that moment as well. So as you came in, there are actually buttons underneath your chairs that came on little cards like this. If you'll grab that for me, that would be awesome. Because what's really cool is that I'm going to give you guys an opportunity to pray over those buttons. And then we are actually going to collect those from you and use those buttons to fill the jars of the families on stage today. So that every time you look at those jars, it reminds you of two things. One, the weeks that you have remaining and how important it is to make those intentional. And two, that you have a church family that has your back, that is praying for you and physically prayed over those buttons before they entered that jar. And if you're out there and you're not really sure what that prayer needs to look like, we are gonna help you out. On the back of that card is a prayer that you can pray. Um, But if there's something specific that's on your heart that you wanna share with those families, that you wanna pray over these families, we invite you to do that as well. Springwell Church, as we close this time, I want you to use this moment as a reminder of the role that you have to support families like these. I'm happy to help you find out how to do that. And it starts by celebrating days like today as we champion the next generation of Jesus followers. I'm gonna give you a minute to pray over your buttons and then I'm gonna wrap us up. And I'd ask that you families do the same thing over your kids and the jars that you're holding. Dear God, thank you so much for these families. Thank you that they have felt your call to make you the center of their daily lives, not just as individuals, but as a whole unit. Thank you for the opportunities that we have as their church to serve them and their children in radical ways. We come to you to ask you to be with these parents as they walk through this journey of leading their children spiritually. Help them to see the blessings amongst the chaos when it seems like the greatest challenge. Remind them as they are answering the tough questions, praying at bedsides, and walking them through each milestone with you at the center, that the influence they are gaining by keeping those moments intentional is far greater than they could ever imagine. Also, we pray as their church family that we remember to be their greatest support system. I pray specifically that you make it clear what opportunities you have in store for each of us so that we can know the best way for us to jump in and serve the next generation. We are so thrilled to celebrate today as we continue to strive to help families win. We lift this time and these families up to you. We pray that you do more than we could ever ask or imagine. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen.